Thanks for listening to The Chapel Podcast. At The Chapel Church, our passion is to share the hope of Jesus to individuals, the community, and the world. Listen in as Pastor Brandon Joyner shares an encouraging and challenging message from God's Word. Many years ago, when animals were still a part of the circus, creative measures had to to go into place in order to keep the animals restrained, especially some of the bigger ones like the elephants. There's a story about a man that uh, was walking along the the circus area there, and he noticed that these large elephants had a little tiny rope that was wrapped around their ankle, strapped around their ankle. Now, he realized that at any point that big animal could be able to pop that rope off and be able to escape, but he was curious because the elephant didn't do so. And so he went over to the uh, elephant controller there, the the elephant uh, keeper, and he said, why can't these large elephants just pop off the rope that is around their ankle? He said that from the very beginning of their life, when they were a little baby, they would tie that rope around their ankle, and that baby could not pull that rope off their ankle. And so they got used to the fact that whenever that rope was around their ankle, they were bound and they were trapped. And because of that elephant being used to that, it continued to grow up until it became an adult elephant. But whenever it felt that tug by that rope, it thought to itself that it was bound just like it was as a baby, even though it could pop off that rope, but it remained where it was. Now, many of us as Christians can oftentimes be stagnant in our life because of fear. Fear becomes an imprisonment to the captivity that we have within our own life when God has called us to do something else. We believe that we can't do this. We believe that we are too weak. We're not big enough or strong enough to be able to do this. And then we have the same small faith that we did at the beginning of our Christian life. And therefore, we don't step out in faith and follow God. There's a story of an owner who hated the dog that he had, and so he took the dog one day, he, he, he dug this huge pit, and he put the dog into the bottom of that pit, and that dog was still alive, and he took the dirt, and he began to bury that dog in that pit. He was trying to bury that dog alive. But as soon as that dog felt the dirt hit off of its back, the dog did what any other dog would do, and it shook the dirt off. And as he shook the dirt off, the owner didn't realize what was going on because he didn't actually want to see himself doing that to the dog. The dog continued to climb on top of that dirt as the owner kept putting the more and more dirt inside that pit until eventually that dirt became so high that that dog stepped out of that hole. The very thing that was intended to kill that dog actually was the vehicle used to save that dog. Maybe you're experiencing something in your life right now and it's a trial Or maybe God has called you to do something and He's working in your heart and you feel like it's time to take a step in faith, but you are apprehensive to do so. You don't know how God's going to provide. You don't know what that next step will be. Maybe you're facing something right now that is completely out of your control and you wish more than anything that you could get out of it, but you cannot. And so your life is filled with stress and it's filled with anxiety. If you find yourself in that situation this morning, then this passage in Matthew is exactly the thing that you need to hear. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue on this series here for the glory of God alone. Over the past several weeks, we've been going through this sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is a mini-series within, actually we're in a mini-series within a mini-series within a larger series. And so we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew. We've been focusing on the Sermon on the Mount, which is a sermon, that the most iconic sermon that Jesus has ever delivered, and it's intended for the genuine followers. It is not just for everyone, it is 
for those that are genuine kingdom citizens. And the purpose of this sermon is to deliver kingdom principles to kingdom citizens for the understanding of how they ought to function within the kingdom. And Jesus talks about some pretty difficult stuff. We've, he, he's, he's urging the people to move away from just the external keeping of the law to actually allowing the law itself or the Holy Spirit for that matter to transform them from their heart. We've looked at uh, what, what, what Jesus talks about when it comes to the subject of lust and how it's, it's not just satisfactory to not physically commit adultery, but if you were to think about a woman or a, a, another person in a lustful way, it is committing adultery within your heart. It's sin before God. That's what Jesus says. And then he moves that into the subject of murder and how he says it's not just physically okay to not commit a murder, but rather if you were to hate someone in your heart, you were committing murder within your own heart. And so Jesus Christ, left and right, it's like, it's like going into a round of punches and just getting punched from one side to the other of these, these, these truths that Jesus delivers that are revelatory revolutionary to anyone that is hearing this, but especially those that are during this time period that were only taught that as long as you keep the external parts of the law, then you're righteous, you're okay. Jesus says, no, no, no. God calls you to a much greater thing than that. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus Christ continues to build upon this sermon, but he focuses really behind the motivations of why we do what we do. And so we've entitled this mini-series, For the Glory of God Alone. He begins Matthew chapter 6 by focusing on uh, just, just, just the righteous acts that we commit, specifically giving. He says that you should never give for the glory of man, but for the glory of God alone, and how we do that privately between us and God, and we are making God number one priority, but for His glory alone. And then he brings that into our prayer life. He talks about how our our prayers are not for the benefit of the other people as far as what they hear us say and then therefore they think of us, but rather it is for the glory of God alone. And he backs it up with this temple of prayer known as the Lord's Prayer. We last week looked at the subject of fasting and how fasting, once again, is for the glory of God alone and how that is a private, personal communication between us and God over something that we're struggling with. And we're going through periods of fasting, generally from food or maybe from other things, and how we substitute those times of eating to times of prayer. And we're saying, God, I'm going to say no to my flesh as far as what my flesh desires, and that is food, and I'm going to pour my heart out to you so that you can see how serious I am regarding the specific truth. But then last week, we briefly touched on this, but I want to go back to it for just a few moments because it's a segue into what we're going to talk about this morning. And in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, Jesus calls us to do something that goes completely against our nature. And that is to hone our focus in on the cause of Christ and Christ alone. Beginning in verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, or treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Okay, that's a concept that we can, for the most part, understand, right? We are not investing in things that are here on earth that are only going to be temporary. In other words, pouring our life into our career, pouring our life into investments. We we do those things. We're good stewards, but that doesn't consist of our entire life. We're, we are willing to give up all of that. We ought to give up all of that for the glory of God. And so Jesus says, do not consume your life with the temporary, but focus and invest on the eternal. He backs it up in verses 22 and 23. He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is in dark, how great is that darkness? In other words, what Jesus says 
is that if we're filling our eyes with earthly things, then our entire hearts will be darkened. Your focus, if it's focusing only on the temporary, it's going to affect your decisions over everything. Your decision to come to church on a Sunday morning. Your decision to get involved in some sort of ministry. If your focus and your consumption is on vacations, is on trips, and is on work, and is on all those other things, then all the other things of God will suffer. Because that's what your eye is focused on. Jesus backs it up in verse 24. He says, No man can serve two masters. It is impossible. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and manman. It is not, again, it is not about being wealthy. It is not about having opportunities. It's all about your focus and what you consume your life with. Okay, so, so he lays all of that out. We, with us hearing that, that are used to this American dream of striving to be better and to be great and to have more things, we hear this concept of we need to give up all of that and follow the cause of Christ alone. That can be nerve-wracking. It can cause worry and it can cause anxiety. I've talked to you, some of you this past week who heard the message last Sunday. You're like, listen, this is something that the Lord really used to impact my heart. And so you kind of, maybe we're going through this week of like, okay, this next step to take, right? I'm praying through these things. I'm nervous. I'm scared what's going to happen to me. That's why Jesus then backs it up with these next section of verses here. So he tells us, do not focus on the temporary, focus on the eternal. He realizes that can be nerve-wracking for us to give up everything to follow God. That may mean we leave America and go to one of the most poorest countries in all of the world. Okay, that's not God's will for everyone, but it was for the Evans family. Sean had his own business that he was running for many years. It was successful, God told him, Sean, give it up and go. Sean did. That's nerve-wracking. And so Jesus says, before you worry about anything, I'm going to give you to what I believe, Brandon Joyner, what I believe as a Christian are some of the most comforting words in all of Scripture. And that is found in our text this morning in Matthew chapter 6, um, beginning in verse 25 down to the end of the chapter, verse 34. And the title of the message is this, For the glory of God alone, the key to a worry-free life. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because it is a private matter, but um, as a pastor, I try to share with you as much as I can with my life, with you know, being discreet as much as I can as well, so that you can learn through how God has changed and used me. Okay? I don't think I'm stepping out on a limb to ask anyone in here and assume that I'm going to have some raised hands for anyone that has ever had some sort of anxiety or panic attack. I'm not just talking about something you're worried, but literally to feel like you could not breathe. I experienced that. Um, some of you know my testimony there with that. I, I praise God I don't suffer with that anymore. Uh, but when my um, wife first found out that she was going to have our first child, Kaysen, I went through a series of, of panic attacks, anxiety attacks that I could not explain to anyone. I didn't know what was going on. But I remember the first one that I experienced, I was sitting at my desk as a youth pastor was working and uh, I was typing up something and then all of a sudden I had this feeling of that I just couldn't breathe. I felt like my chest was, was, was well, like I had an elephant on top of it. I felt like uh, you know, I was going to have a heart attack and I remember getting up out of my chair, making my way over to the main offices because I was going to tell them, please call the ambulance because there's something going on with me. I feel like I'm having a heart attack. That was my first experience of having a true panic anxiety attack. That continued on over the summer. 
and into the fall time all the way up until Cason's birth. And I believe that it was triggered on by the fact that my son was going to be born, my life was never going to be the same, and also the fear of ever going to be an adequate father. Like there was a lot of changes that were happening in my life at that time, and I believe that that's what triggered these anxiety attacks. But what got me over that was not only the grace of God, but was a consistent, constant meditation upon these verses right here that I'm going to share with you this morning. And so the first thing that, that what, what Jesus does here is he gets us to focus on really uh, the, the aspect of worry, and then he couples that with the care of God, and then he finally brings out the mission of the Christian. And so the first thing that we're going to focus here this morning is this, the frailty of worry. The frailty of worry. Worry is like junk food. You know you shouldn't have it. You know it's bad for you, but you can't like resist eating it. It's like that with some personalities, probably more so than others. Worry is like, you know something, like, you, like people say, like Christians, Christians should not worry. That's like the greatest advice you ever gave me. Thank you, I'm cured. Okay, for some, like worry is like something you just like, you can't help at times. Like for some personalities, anxiousness and worry and stress comes easier than for other personalities. But we know that we shouldn't do it, so how do we get over it? The first thing that we have to do when it comes to overcoming worry from a spiritual standpoint is understand this. Worrying is doubt in God's provision. Worrying is as simple as that. It is a doubt in God's provision. Look at what verse 25 says. Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at what Jesus says not to worry about. The necessities of life. Our clothing, our food, and what we're going to, to drink. He doesn't say don't worry about your job. He doesn't say don't worry about your, uh, don't worry about your um, family issues. He doesn't say don't worry about your bank account. He doesn't say any of that. Why? Because none of those things are truly life-sustaining elements. Jesus strips it down to the very basic necessities of life, and what does he say? Don't worry. Now, I could take a poll this morning, and I feel confident once again that no person in this room has truly worried about their food and it is truly worried about their drink, how they're going to survive. Now, I think it's a different story in Sierra Leone. I think you could share this verse in Sierra Leone and they'd be like, what? Because they worry about that. $40 a month and it costs $50 for a bag of rice? I bet you there's some times in their household where they really did not know where their next meal was going to come from. We as Americans have been spoiled. Okay, we've been blessed, but we've also been spoiled in that way. Jesus strips it down to the very basic, and he says, do not worry. Because to worry is to mistrust in the provisions of God. Look at what he says in verse 25. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Clothing. What is he saying here? Jesus is forcing us to examine the logical nature of God's provision. In other words, Jesus says that if God who is the sustainer of man's life, if that's what he does, then why in the world would God ever withhold the things that sustain the very life of man? That's what he says here. He says, is not food and clothing more than life? In other words, if God is, is allowing you to live right now, then what makes you think he's not going to provide for your basic necessities? So to worry, to worry at all, is a failure to trust in the provisions of God. But here's the second aspect of worrying. Worrying is a doubt in God's plan. 
It is a failure to trust in the provisions of God, but it's a failure to doubt, or it's a doubt in God's plan. Now, look at what he says in verse 27. He says, which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to a stature? I love this. My, uh, my mom would always say to me and my dad growing up, he says, worrying is not going to change anything, right? You can worry about it all day long, but it's not going to change anything. Literally what Jesus says here is that worrying is not going to change anything. In other words, if you worry all day long about being taller, you can worry all day long. It's not going to change your height status. Okay, so how does this have anything to do with the plan of God? We as Christians believe that God is sovereign. It's a word that we throw around a lot that sometimes people don't fully understand what it means, and so I'll give you the, uh, the definition for dummies, so to speak, of this word. I won't unpack it fully, but here's the overview. The sovereignty of God describes God's ability and God's right to rule perfectly over all of his creation. Everything that has come and will come has first passed through the sovereign hands of God. Uh, so in other words, and everything that comes into your life is part of God's sovereign plan. So let's bring this down to a physical level. How you look, the height that you are, and everything about you physically was perfectly designed by God for a purpose and for a reason. So going back to this text here, when we say we are worrying about things that are our part of things that we cannot control, we are worrying in the plan and the sovereign call of God, okay? You lose your job. That's worry. Where's my next job going to come from? God, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find another job that was as good as that one. Did you have any control over you losing your job? Well, if you were a bonehead a few times and you were late, then that, yeah, you probably had a little bit of control. But I really don't think anybody in here lost their job for those reasons. Layoffs, whatever the case may be. You had no control over it. You recognized that that was part of God's sovereign plan. You can't find a job. You're looking and you're looking and you're looking and you have this degree, you have all these qualifications and now you're staring down the barrel of the possibility of becoming Caitlin's co-worker at Chick-fil-A, okay? Nothing wrong with that, but you're thinking, I have a doctorate in astro something I can't pronounce. What am I doing over here at Chick-fil-A? I can't find a job. You follow God's plan and you trust in that. To worry and fret and to lose sleep over things that you cannot control is really what Jesus says here, a waste of time. And this is sin against God. Now, if you really think about it, again, the example that Jesus uses is, is absurd. Who would worry over something like their height when they can't control it? There's a missionary that many of you have heard her name before. Her name is Amy Carmichael. Here's a picture of her here. She was a missionary in the 19th century. She was born in a seaside town in Northern Ireland. As a young girl, Amy Carmichael wished that she had blue eyes instead of brown eyes. Matter of fact, she wrote in her journal that she would pray to God every single night to change her eyes to the color of blue. At the age of 20, Amy sensed that the Lord was calling her to serve him as a missionary, and after serving in various places, she went to India. Amy would go on to India and become one of the greatest missionaries to set foot in that land. And here, during this time, Amy found an orphanage, a school, and a safe house for young girls. She played a major role in breaking the ancient practices of abandoning baby girls to the steps of pagan temples to be trained up as cult prostitutes. I found out yesterday that in Sierra Leone, they still practice child sacrifices. Amy Carmichael's fighting against that. But the story goes on to, to share, uh, to, to talk about how she, in order to fit more into the culture, would actually dye her skin with coffee a darker tint to fit into that culture. Now, if she had blue eyes, do you think that she would have fit in to that culture as effectively 
based upon the eye color that she had as being brown eyes. So you could take this scenario, and I'm sure Amy Carmichael read this verse and be like, yeah, I remember that time I prayed for blue eyes and God didn't give it to me. She was worrying and fretting over her eye color, but then she realized later on in life that her eye color was the very tool that God allowed to come into her life to shape her to be the person that she ought to be by fitting in within the culture of India, okay? So God has given you a set of things right now, and you're trying to change it, and there's nothing that you can do to change it. God says, be patient. I'm sovereign. Calm down. This is all for a purpose. Just trust in me. To worry over that is to worry and doubt God's plan. So that's the frailty of worry. It's a worry in God's provision. It's a worry in God's plan. He moves out from that frailty aspect, really, to lay out the the absurdity of worrying, and then he couples that up with the second point here, and that is the care of God. Okay, don't worry, but let me talk about the care of God. Jesus doesn't expect us to be completely relieved by simply addressing the weakness of our worry. He says in verses 28 through 30, that we ought to have faith in God. Why? Because God is a caring God, and he highlights for us two different things. First off, he says here, there's the beauty of creation, and that's a testimony of God's providence. Look at creation, child, and see the provision that I provide for it, my providence. He says in verse 28 and 29, so why do you worry about your clothing? He says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon and all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. You've read that verse a million times, but what does that mean? What does toiling and what does spinning mean? I have right here, uh, one of my favorite flowers, and this is a calla lily. Um, you're impressed that I knew the name of that, but don't be too impressed. I asked my wife. Uh, I didn't realize there was like a whole bunch of different lilies out there, but this came from our, our, our garden just along the side of the house there. And so I want you to think about this for a moment. I'm sure that this is not necessarily the specific lily that Jesus is referring to, but it's all part of the same family. Look how beautiful this lily is, okay? Look, think about that word toil and think about that word spin, the word toil is, is in reference to a masculine type of form of work that the men generally, primarily did during that particular time period. That word toil was in reference to the, um, the, the, reference to the farming of the land. The men would go out and they would crop, they, they would farm the land, they would bring in the crops to feed their family. Okay? They were toiling underneath the hot sun in order to provide for their family. That word spin there is in reference to what the women generally did, and it was the spinning of the thread in order to make clothing. The men would work in the field, the women would make clothing. Okay, Those two things are forms of labor. Okay, what Jesus says here is, look at the lilies of the field. They don't do any labor whatsoever. Think about a lily, for example, or any flower for that matter. Do they go out and hunt for their food? They do not. Do they seek for their food in any way? They do not. How do they get fed? It's literally by the goodness and the grace of God. God brings in rain, he allows the sun to shine, and he takes care of his flowers. He says, if you go out there and you look at the lilies of the field in their beauty and how they do nothing but God provides for them, the beauty of these lilies, uh, Solomon's kingdom and all of his glory is nothing compared to the simplicity and the beauty of these flowers. So Jesus causes us to think that. He says, if, if God provides for those on a continuous basis, 
Okay, that's the beauty of creation. Look at what it does, but then look at what he how he backs that up. Look at letter B. It says the position of man is a testimony of God's priority. Okay, so he takes care of the the lilies. He takes care of all of those things. But look at what he says in verse thirty. He says, "Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O, o you of little faith?" Now that phrase there, today or tomorrow. I'm sorry, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven is another confusing phrase. What does that mean? It's actually a historical reference for what they did to the flowers. The flowers would grow, they would remain healthy, but eventually they would die, right? Just like everything does. Well, during those particular time periods, they would gather all of the grass, all of the dead flowers together, and they would bring them back and they would burn those flowers for fuel. And so he says that today is, in other words, they're living today and eventually they will be thrown into the oven. No human being is treated that way, okay? God has a significant part of creation in those lilies, but no human being is treated that way because why? Because we have a much higher position in the kingdom of God than any other part of creation. So if God cares about his flowers that much, how much more does he not care about you? And so for us to worry about where our next meal is going to come from or if God, whether or not he's going to meet our needs, look at the lilies of the field. Walk outside and look at the flowers that are, that are there. Now, I understand that some of you water your flowers at home, but take a hike over Okanichi Mountain and look at all the wildlife and all the flowers that are there. No one waters that other than the grace of God, and it's still living. How much more is he not going to take care of you? James chapter 1, verse 11 says, For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass of flowers fall and its beautiful appearance perishes. Talking about the vanity of life. But yet God cares for you more than any other part of creation. So there's a frailty of worry. There's no reason for you out to worry. But he paints this picture of the care of God and how he's going to take care of you no matter what, you don't have to worry about anything. Okay, now we're energized. Now we're excited. What are we supposed to do with this? It brings us to our final point here this morning, and that is the mission of the Christian. Okay, so think about it. We said several verses earlier, give up everything, invest for eternity. Okay, we do so. God, I'm scared. Being scared and worrying is absurd. Why? Because God cares for you. If he cares for creation, how much more is he not going to care for you? Okay, God, I'm energized. I'm excited. Now what do I do? There's a mission for you to follow. And the first thing that Jesus tells us to do here is this. We trust in the provision of God. We trust in it. Look at what he says in verses 31 and 32. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Once again, that phrase, for all these things, is in reference to the pagan people. Jesus acknowledging that somebody has to worry about it because it's just natural human nature. Somebody's got to worry about where their food's going to come from, but that's not you. Allow those that are not in the kingdom of God, allow them to worry about that. If somebody's going to have to worry about it, I'll let them worry about it. Why? Why should you as a Christian not? Because God has your back. There's bigger things, there's more important things for you to worry about, and that is, that is God, how am I going to reach all of these people on the mission field in Sierra Leone? God, how am I going to have enough money to be able to provide for other missionaries to go out there? Better yet, God... How am I going to go out there and do what the Evans family is doing? 
Maybe, maybe some of you just need to ask that question. Maybe the reason why you haven't found a job yet is because God doesn't want you here. You ever thought about that? Maybe God is pushing you to go somewhere else right now. Ah, Brandon, my, my this, my that, and my other, and all these things. We can think about excuses all day long. But if you feel like God is calling you to do something, take that step of faith and look at the lilies and recognize the fact that God is not going to leave you hanging. He never has and he never will. If we can trust him for our salvation, then why can't we trust him for the next day of our life? Maybe God is calling you to do something. Trust in his provision. But here's the final point here this morning. Build God's kingdom. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you have your own gutter cleaning company or if you're a missionary overseas. You don't have to be in full-time ministry to build God's kingdom. Build God's kingdom where you are. Matthew 6, verse uh, 33. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What will be added unto you? Everything necessary to accomplish God's kingdom purposes. Seek it first. I understand that if you're going into ministry, you have to go to training. You have to be equipped in all those things. I got that. I'm not saying that school is ridiculous. I'm not. But sometimes we get too busy trying to become equipped and equipped and equipped and equipped that we fail to actually go and realize, okay, God is going to provide for me as I continue to take that step in faith. God says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We are so busy trying to be something for God when God just says, trust and go. God says, seek first the kingdom, and while you are seeking, give everything you need to properly accomplish his will will be given to you by God. This is one of the greatest sources of comfort with all of Scripture for the Christian. Seek his face. Imagine for a moment, as we close this morning, Imagine what our churches would look like if Christians served without hesitation and they gave without reservation. Imagine what our communities would look like if Christians no longer worried about what others thought of them but became more concerned with how they function within God's kingdom. Imagine what our world would look like if the Christians stopped making excuses for why they couldn't go and they just started trusting in God to provide. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. As we conclude this morning, Jesus concludes with this one final verse in verse 34. After wrapping all of that up, he says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, stop focusing about the worries of tomorrow the issue today already has its own issues. So therefore, trust in God right now and continue copy and paste that tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. That is how we overcome worry, stress, and anxiety is you literally give it all up to God. And every single time you walk out into your garden and you see a flower and you see a lily, I want that verse to be ingrained in your mind. That flower is living how much more does God not care for me and provide for my needs?